Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And the study, the passage we'll be studying today is Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11. And the title of today's sermon is Secured by God's Love. Secured by God's Love. We'll read the first 11 verses of this chapter, but we'll spend most of our time on verses 6 to 11. So let's read Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also boast in our afflictions, knowing that affliction brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom or through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will be in our midst and you will give us understanding as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the American Heritage Dictionary defines anxiety this way. A state of uneasiness and apprehension as about future uncertainties. And I think many of us today do experience anxiety. That is, we feel uneasy and apprehensive And we can be overwhelmed by the future uncertainty. And in this passage of scripture we have just read, this passage teaches us that despite living in a world full of chaos, our future hope is secured by God's love. Well, just to give us a bit of context, Romans, the book of Romans, which we are in, was written by the Apostle Paul. And some consider Romans as Paul's most comprehensive statement of the gospel and his most comprehensive outline of Christian doctrine. And Paul begins by stating in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, that salvation has now come to Jews and Gentiles through faith. And salvation by faith is necessary because of the problem of sin. And so the Apostle Paul in the rest of Romans 1 tells us that Gentiles are lost in sin. And at the same time in chapter 2, the Jewish people are lost in sin. And in chapter 3, there's an indictment that all of us, every single one of us, are lost in sin. 
And once Paul's delineated the sin problem, Paul then gives us God's solution. And he tells us in the latter part of chapter 3 that all Christians are justified. That is, we are declared righteous by God through the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he tells us in chapter 4 that, again, all of us, all of us as Christians, just like Abraham, we are justified through faith. And now we come to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, the passage we've just read, Paul begins by saying that because we've been justified by faith, first, we have peace with God in verse 1. Second, we have access to God in verse 2. And in verse 3, it states that we can rejoice in hope. But then the question is posed, how or why can we rejoice in hope? Well, Paul gives the answer in verse 5. It says in verse 5, And hope does not put to shame, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts. So in other words, Paul, inspired by God, he is telling us that God has secured us, that our hope is secured because of his love. And it's here in verse 6 and following that Paul will give us several reasons why we can be so sure that we are secured by his love. And the first reason we'll start off is here in verse 6. Paul gives us in this passage the timing of his love, the timing of God's love. So we can be assured of God's love towards Christians first by its timing. Look at verse 6. Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time. And this word time, there, there are two Greek words for time. One is chronos, which is the standard term for time, but the second is kairos. And this word has more of the notion of an appropriate or set time. And in fact, this prepositional phrase, at the right time, Paul uses only one other time in the New Testament, and he refers to God's promise to Abraham concerning Isaac. And it's found in chapter 9 of Romans. Paul writes, For this is the word of promise, get this, at this time, at the right time, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So in other words, just as God's timing concerning when Isaac would be born, God's timing of his love towards us is preordained, prepared, and purposeful. And if we look at this passage, there's at least three characteristics of this timing of God's love. Look again in verse 6. Paul writes, For while we were still weak. In other words, while we, as sinners, we were still powerless, helpless, Without strength, God chose to love us. But not only were we still weak, look at verse 8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us. And look at this, in that while we were yet sinners. So we were still weak, we were yet sinners. And this term sinners refers to a failure of meeting the religious or legal expectations of God. 
Paul said earlier in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we have all sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. But thirdly, it wasn't just while we were weak, while we were sinners, but look down in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, Paul states in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, that we were by nature's children of wrath. In Colossians 1, verse 21, Paul states that we are enemies in mind and in evil deeds. So picture in your mind right now, who is your worst enemy? And if you were to multiply that 10,000-fold, you get a glimpse of God's disposition towards us as sinners. So what is the timing? While we were weak, while we were sinners, while we were enemies, God chose to love us. So in other words, God didn't choose to love us when we were at our best. Rather, he determined to show his love toward us while we were at our worst. And so it's at this time that while we were at our worst, he resolved to love us unconditionally. And because of this, we can be assured that we will never be outside of God's love. I mean, think with me for those of you who are married. Do you still remember those first few dates? when we were enamored with each other, we were happy, we were sweet and kind to one another. Every moment of our dates were bliss. But what happened after our wedding day? Well, perhaps we started to see for the first time some of our hidden faults. We learned more about our shortcomings. And even though we might have seen the best of each other before our wedding day, once we got married, our imperfections became more visible. But get this, that is not the case with God when he chose to love us. God knew perfectly well all of our faults, every single sin, imperfection, weakness, past, present, future. Have you ever felt you weren't good enough to be loved by God? Have you ever felt like you needed to perform and do your best to keep God's favor and his love? Well, you don't have to because God did not have any false expectations of us because, get this, he didn't have any expectations of us. Zero. So you can be rest assured that because of his timing, the timing of God's love, we can never fall out of his love. And not only can we be assured of God's love first by his timing, we can be assured by God's love second by his demonstration, the demonstration of God's love. And we see this in verse 7 and 8. And here Paul helps us understand the superiority of his divine love in comparison to the love of man. Paul describes human love in verse 7. Let me read it again for us. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. So this adverb, hardly, 
It could mean scarcely, rarely, or the NIV describes it very rarely. And notice the verb here that someone would dare. One lexicon uh, defines this verb would dare as to act with apparent abandonment or audacity to run the risk of dying. Well, I read a story that happened just about a month ago. His name was Hirohisha Hogaki. And he was a Japanese man. He was married and he had seven children. And a few years ago, he graduated from seminary in the United States. And so after seminary, he moved his family to Japan to plant a new church. Well, earlier this past summer, he brought his entire family to the beach for a vacation. And that afternoon, to his horror, two of his young children were pulled into the ocean. And so seeing this, he frantically searches for his children and he drowns in the process. And yet both children survived. When we hear these stories, they're rare, but they're powerful, right? Because few in this world would dare to give up their life for another person. So that is the greatest extent of human love, but Paul compares this to God's divine love in verse 8. Let's read verse 8 again. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This word, when it describes God demonstrates, this verb means to put beyond doubt, to confirm, to establish, to provide evidence of a personal characteristic or claim. So what Paul is saying here is that God is not just doing a casual show-and-tell demonstration. No, this is God providing ample evidence beyond a reasonable doubt that he has established his love toward us. So God demonstrates his love toward us. How? In that Christ died for us. You remember Jesus telling his disciples in John chapter 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. So, humanly speaking, for the good man, someone might dare even to die. But God's love is greater. God's love is superior. God's love is incomparable. Because While we were yet sinners, it was then that Christ died for us. Have you ever tried to picture in your mind how great God's love really is? Well, I think all of our feeble attempts would come woefully short. Isaac Watts wrote, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. 
So the timing of God's love, while we were yet sinners, weak, God's enemies, the demonstration of God's love, Christ died for us, the ungodly. Well, Paul gives a third reason that we can trust that our future hope is secured by God's love. And it is the salvation of God's love, the salvation of God's love. And we see this in verses 9 and 10. Let me read verse 9 at least. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Now, depending on what English Bibles you have, the NIV begins verse 9 with since, the ESV with since, therefore. But a couple of the more literal translations, like the King James and the New American Standard, translates this opening phrase, much more than, or even how much more than. And this phrase is Paul's unique way of introducing a lesser to a greater argument. And so Paul's logic is this. Regarding salvation, if God has already done the more difficult task, he must certainly do the easier task. And so let's look here in verse 9. What is the more difficult task that Paul is describing? Well, it's the first part here, much more than having now been justified by his blood. Now, Paul had already explained in detail this doctrine of justification back in chapters 3 and 4. And back in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. And so even in these couple of verses, we see three things about justification or being declared righteous by God. First, it says here that being justified, justification, it's a gift. So to redeem sinners, Jesus, he, he, didn't, he wasn't obligated, but he voluntarily gives up his life. He was not forced or coerced. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 10, no one takes it, that is his life, away from me, but from myself, I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. We did not earn our right standing with God. Justification was freely given to us. But not only that, we see also that justification requires redemption. That is that Christ purchased us. He redeemed us through his blood. And just like the prophet Hosea bought, redeemed his wife, Christ has redeemed us. So justification is a gift. It, it requires redemption. 
But thirdly, Paul writes here in chapter 3 of Romans that justification requires propitiation. That is, that the wrath of God that Paul had described in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, God's wrath was completely satisfied by the blood sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made Christ Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians is that all of the sins of us Christians, they were placed on Christ when he died on the cross. And all of his perfect righteousness that he had accomplished on his life on earth is credited to us even though we continue to battle sin's presence. You know, it is one thing to try to give up your life to save another, but it's quite another thing to save another's life successfully. And that's exactly what Christ did with his death. His sacrifice was necessary, sufficient, and efficient to save us. And so this greater task in verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, by his atoning sacrifice, what then is the lesser task? Well, it's the second half of verse 9. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. So what Paul is saying is that the greater task is justification. The lesser task is our deliverance from God's wrath on the final day of judgment. So here's the logic. When we have been justified by Christ's blood, we receive an irrevocable gift. God's legal declaration of righteousness is credited to us. We have been redeemed. God's wrath has been propitiated and satisfied. And so, How can we doubt our future salvation and our deliverance from God's future judgment? A person who is declared not guilty will not and cannot receive punishment. Well, I have a question for you. Have you ever asked the question, what is the most important day in your life? Some of you might think initially, well, my birthday, perhaps, or my wedding day. Or perhaps you're thinking of the day when you die and you see God face to face in heaven. Well, what Paul is actually stating here in verse 9 is that the Christian's most substantial day is not the day of his glorification, but it's the day of his conversion when he was justified. In our day of conversion, we go from death to life. In our glorification, we're simply going from life to life. And going from death to life is a much greater feat than passing from life to life. Well, There's a second comparison 
that Paul gives, same logic in verse 10. Let me read verse 10 again for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And again, most English translations has that phrase in the middle, much more. And this phrase again is an introduction or a cue to this lesser to greater argument. And so the greater task now here in verse 10 is reconciliation. Look again in verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And the verb reconcile, it it simply means to make a friend out of an enemy. It's one thing to hold a grudge against your enemy, but it's quite another to make your enemy your friend. And that is exactly what God did for us through the death of his son. He reconciled us, once enemy and now friend. So that's the greater task, the task of reconciliation. Well, what's the lesser task? What's in the second half of verse 10? Much more, having been reconciled, here's the lesser task, we shall be saved by his life. And so by virtue of Christ's resurrection, we shall be saved. That's a future tense on that final judgment day. So in summary, what what, what Paul is saying is that if God has already completed the two most difficult tasks, declaring us righteous, justified through redemption and propitiation, and reconciling us, once enemies and now friends, how much more secure is God completing the easier task of shielding us from future judgment? Have you recently pondered the day of your conversion? How you were born again, redeemed, reconciled? You were once dead, but now you are alive. Blind, but now you see. Enemy, and now a friend. Well, we looked at the timing of God's love, the demonstration of God's love, the salvation of God's love. Let's look at a fourth reason we can be secure in God's love. And it's found in verse 11. It's the boasting of God's love. The boasting of God's love. Let's look at verse 11 again. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We also boast in God. This verb is also translated rejoice, exalt. This verb has a meaning of pride in being intimately associated or involved with some personal thing or circumstance. And this verb is used several times by Paul in his epistles. One instance is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31. Paul again writes, But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, 
and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Same verb. And so what Paul is saying here in verse 11 is that when we appreciate the timing of God's love, the demonstration of God's love, and the salvation of God's love, we cannot help as Christians but respond by boasting. See, Christ has already declared it. It is finished. The game is over. The battle is won. And because we did nothing and God did everything, we can rest assured that our hope in God's future promises is sure. We are united with Christ, our Savior and Lord, permanently, and nothing can ever separate us. Well, remember last year in 2022, amidst all of the hardship in the country of Argentina, everyone came out for the victory parade in Buenos Aires, celebrating, boasting of their soccer team that had just returned victorious from the World Cup. And the citizens of Argentina who were celebrating, who were boasting, noticed that they contributed nothing to the outcome of the soccer tournament. But they boasted simply by their association with the winning team. Now, there was quite a bit of cheering during the tournament. But the true boasting came when the game was over and the victory was assured. And so, brothers and sisters, our our future hope is secure and therefore we can boast in God's love. Well, I leave with you with this thought. And the thought is this, because as we look at this chaotic world, this uncertain world, There are two groups of people here today. And some of you belong in in the first group. And in this first group, you have experienced the most important day of your life. And you have gone from death to life. You have received God's free gift of salvation. You were redeemed, purchased by God. And God's wrath over you was satisfied by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And to you in this first group, this this passage is telling us that we can be secure in God's love. And you don't have to doubt your future hope because it's made sure by his love. The timing of God's love, he loved us at our worst. The demonstration of God's love, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The salvation of God's love, we have been justified. We have been reconciled, enemy to friend. And the boasting of God's love, Jesus paid it all. And so let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. But there is a second group. There's a second group of people And if you are in this second group, you have not yet seen the most important day of your life. You have not experienced the new birth that comes from God's Spirit.
and you remain responsible for the penalty of your sin, and you are under the wrath of the one holy God. You are his sworn enemy. And at any moment, you can fall into final judgment and the condemnation of a literal, physical, and eternal hell. And to you, I plead with you, be reconciled with God. Cry out to him and acknowledge your helpless state. Repent and confess your sin and beg for mercy that his death might absorb the wrath of God that should rightly fall on you. Relinquish the control of your life and recognize Christ as Lord. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his own soul? Do not leave here today until you are reconciled with God.